welcome to Optimal Health Uncovered. We are a group of health and wellness professionals in the New York metropolitan area where our mission is to empower you to live better. From specific injuries to general fitness trends, diets to sleep habits, our group of specialists are dedicated to bringing you the latest evidence-based research on the topics that matter most. Welcome to this session of Optimal Health Uncovered. Welcome to Optimal Health Uncovered. I'm Todd. And I'm Mike. And today we've got a special guest, Shane Foley. Shane, welcome. Hey guys, how's it going? Doing well, doing well. You know, all things back pain, scoliosis, and and then we'll dig into something called the Schroth Method, uh, something that Shane specializes in. So we're excited to have you on board for this podcast. I'm going to hand the mic over to Mike for some of the questions, and we'll dig in. Sure. Before we get into it, Shane had some concerning aura ring data that I think we need to address. I know he woke up probably a little bit nervous in the podcast and it really affected his All sleep All right, let's last hear night. what we got. <laughs> yeah, so I've been tracking my uh, my sleep every night, my readiness score on the aura ring and uh, got a good night's sleep, turned out the lights at 9.45 last night, woke up feeling great. And uh, for some reason, it only started tracking my sleep at 2 a.m. So it shows I only had an hour and a half of sleep and now I'm going to have to spend the next couple of nights Getting even more sleep to make up for the loss of data last night. So Scored a little, si- low 60s. Yeah, it was yeah, pretty bad. He shared it with me. I thought he was calling out sick. I was like, oh, no, this is not going to be good. good no, just just disappointed. Uh, that's never really happened to me that bad, though. I, I mean, it definitely messes up from time to time, whether it be battery being low. Have you experienced anything like that? If, if the ring twists a little bit or moves on the hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the interesting thing was my heart rate was steady low at 46 beats per minute. So it shows like I was obviously asleep but didn't show me getting to sleep. Yeah. Uh, frustrating. We'll fix that. We'll get it. All right. So digging in a little bit, let's just start broad as to what the Schroth method is. And before we even go into that, maybe just some background about what scoliosis is, because there's different types of scoliosis. I know Schroth method is effective for some, not for all. And there's also just, you know, people say they have scoliosis or they've heard, you know, growing up, it was like the forward flexion test where your nurse would look at it in school and you found out you had a scoliosis, then your doctor would say you really don't. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what scoliosis is. So maybe let's start there before we get into the Schroth method. Yeah. Um, so this is something that I got into probably like three or four years ago. And um, so scoliosis is really a 3D deformity of the spine. So deformity just really meaning that you're going to have curvature or rotation of the spine in all three planes of motion. So you can really think about that front, back, side to side, and then rotation. The tricky thing about it is it's truly idiopathic in nature, meaning that they don't know what the cause of it is. There's a couple of things that have been correlated with it. We can get into that a little bit later, but um, it kind of has a early and rapid onset, specifically in younger individuals and going through adolescence. So if you have, you have certain individuals that are born with it, right? Those are, would they be called genetic scoliosis? Like how do you define them? Okay. Um, and those tend to be a little bit more severe cases, some, you know, missing bones and missing ribs. I've had, I have a you know family member with something like that. And then there's individuals that kind of develop it in that adolescence period. So with the Schroth method, like which of those groups do you, is it most effective with? Yeah. Good question. So there's some, it, technically you can use it for all um, some are going to be more effective than others. And the ones that are going to be most effective is truly that adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Um, those that are trying to you know, prevent the progression of the curve, pre-surgery, post-surgery, and then um, for the degenerative scoliosis in your older individual. So which can be caused from you know somebody that had a mild curve when they were a young boy and girl and just progressed slowly over life, or somebody that maybe had um, 
like osteoporosis later in life, causing a little bit of wedging of the spine leading to a scoliosis. So how is scoliosis defined? Good question. Or diagnosed, I guess is a better word. Yeah. So like you said, typically it used to be that you'd go to your nurse, they do like send uh, feet together, bend over, touch your toes. All right. looks like you have a little bit of a curve in your spine. We'll send you to see the doctor. We're seeing more so that's not happening anymore um, for a couple of different reasons with school systems and nurses and things like that. And mostly it's the primary care docs that are doing it. Um, <clears throat> so the way that they're doing it is still, that's the gold standard that Adams forward bend test you're talking about. Feet together, bend over, touch your toes. You're looking for a couple of different things. You're looking at does the spine deviate from a straight line? So are you starting to see a curve? And then as you bend over that way, do you start to see a little bit of rotation or prominence or like a rib hump, people will say, on one side of the spine compared to the other side. Okay. And then from there, if it's severe enough, would they confirm it with an x-ray or something like that? What's the the imaging that they would order? Yeah. So depending on what you look like clinically from there, then you're going to most likely get an x-ray. And that's really because the old methodology used to be, eh, it looks like you have a little bit of a curve in your back. We'll see you next year and see what it looks like next year. Now, how scoliosis can progress most quickly is through rapid periods of growth. So if you're a female and you're 12 or 13 years old, approaching a rapid growth spurt, that curve may progress to something that you know was mild and then is severe within that year time period. So now more so than not, low dose x-rays are being used to diagnose it earlier rather than later so you can manage it more appropriately. Okay, great. So we, you kind of define curvature a little bit, but I think we always hear some misconceptions from our patients about curvature and what's normal, what's not. So just define that a little bit more going into like what the normal curvature is of the spine, like in that sagittal plane, you know, lordosis and scoliosis and um, kyphosis versus scoliosis. You did a good job with 3D, but just make it abundantly clear for everyone. Yeah, yeah cool. So um, the first thing is that a lot of times if you get an x-ray of your spine, you may see the word levoscoliosis, which just means that there's a little bit of curve in the spine. By definition, scoliosis is going to be anything that deviates greater than 10 degrees. So that could just be if your right foot was slightly in front of your left, if you're side bent a little bit, or just normal human variation is a little bit of curvature. And that's looking side to side, kind of like typical C curve or S curve when you're looking from the front or back at an individual. Then when you're looking from the side, you have a normal curve in your back as you get a curve that comes inward in your neck and in your low back and outward in your mid back. So that being lordosis and kyphosis respectively. And what you typically see in people that have scoliosis is that the kyphosis. So in your mid back where you should have a nice round starts to straighten out. And then in your low back can also become exaggerated. So that um, tilt in your pelvis and extension in your low back becomes exaggerated. Okay. So someone has a diagnosis of scoliosis, you know, what are some intervention strategies for that individual, both conservatively and, you know, getting into the Schroth method now or more aggressively, depending on degree of curvature? Yeah. So the Schroth method is just by definition, scoliosis specific exercises with um, a couple goals in mind. So to prevent obviously the progression of a curve, if you're a younger individual that runs the risk and is uh, predisposed to risk of progression or to help correct your posture to help improve your strength, to help improve muscle loading and symmetry side to side. So there's a couple different options depending on where you fall within that spectrum. The main things that you want to be sure of first and foremost is that it's managed appropriately and early so you can develop a plan for it. And then depending on the severity of it in a younger individual, the options for bracing are there and the bracing can either be done just wearing a brace at night or a brace throughout the day as the curve gets, and that's what we're really talking about, like uh, 
curve for nighttime bracing, typically 18 degrees. Something for somebody to wear for 16 to 18 hours a day is a curve at about 25 degrees. If that curve goes be- like between 25 and 40, bracing is definitely indicated. And then if you start thinking about like the big, bad, scary thing of surgery, that's really like greater than 50 degree curve. Um, most typically, if you're around that point and you're younger, they'll brace you to try and kind of like hold on before going right to surgery. Um, but that's where they're at with bracing. So the recipe that I talk about with people is a plan early and often bracing if appropriate, the Schroth method, which is those scoliosis specific exercises, which is actively teaching you how to control your posture and improve the symmetry of load. Then there's some supplementation that has some pretty good research uh, for vitamin D and calcium. And that's really the recipe that you can do from there to best try and prevent the progression of scoliosis. All right. So digging in a little bit more to the Schroth method, start from basics. It's an interesting name. People mess it up all the time. Where did the name come from? Yes. So it's Schroth. I hear it all ways, shapes, and forms, um, but it's pronounced Schroth. It actually, so it started in like the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s in Germany. This woman, Katarina Schroth was her last name, was a physical education teacher and started this school for people that had scoliosis. Now at that point, the numbers I was just talking about, you know, 18, 25, 50, she's dealing with people. This is unmanaged scoliosis in the 1800s. So we're talking like 80, 90 degree curves, like people that are pretty, pretty severe and just trying to go about living life without the option of surgical intervention. So she started this and really looked at how can we help somebody to stand more upright and just balance themselves back out. And she looked at it from the inside out, which is a pretty cool way to think about it using breathing techniques to try and help keep yourself upright. So what happens in scoliosis is if you think about, you have a curve in your spine, specifically in your mid back, you have your ribs, your ribs encompass your lungs and your lungs fill up with air. Now, as you get this curvature, it really messes up the vital capacity of your lungs and your ability to breathe all the way in. So in a younger individual specifically, but even in those that have been in adaptive posture for a long period of time, you become used to being in this position. Now it's not saying you can't breathe into the opposite lung or derotate yourself a little bit, but it's just going to take coaching and practice in order to teach yourself how to get there. So she started this in Germany in the 1900s with a balloon and an idea, and it kind of grew into this. And since then has developed braces specifically that are um, three-dimensionally analyzed to kind of couple with the method. Okay. Tell me about any research that's out there to support Schroth. Yeah. So actually it's a pretty interesting question in studying for, um, and taking my orthopedic exam board certified orthopedic exam. There's actually a question on the exam about the Schroth method. So I thought that was pretty cool that it's general, generally recognized practice that this is the best management for scoliosis and, and looking at it, um, a lot of the literature started off in Europe as this is this technique started really in Germany and Barcelona and just the U S doesn't really accept European literature that much at first until we started digging into it and doing studies ourselves. But there's a lot of research from the European um, spine journal from scoliosis journal and some of the stuff in China that looks at both the short and long-term effects of scoliosis of um, the Schroth method on scoliosis. So it found that self-correction and task-oriented scoliosis exercises had statistical significance in the reduce of a curve um, greater than just traditional exercise alone. So that was pretty cool. And then you look at how long does it take for this to actually come into effect. So the Scoliosis Journal published something in 2017 that looked at that there is improvement in pain, self-image, and back muscle endurance in patients um, with idiopathic scoliosis over six months six-month course of intervention. And in that six-month course of intervention, 
that's not you being in physical therapy two to three times a week. That was you going through two months of two to three times a week, learning this method, and then you implementing with a home exercise program that you complied with over four months. So the cool thing about it is it's not necessarily something you're signing up for for life. It's something that you're teaching somebody how to do to try and help them correct their own posture that they can then implement as they continue to grow, as they continue to age, as they want to weight lift, exercise, all these things. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important things for the listeners to to grasp is that just like most anything in health and wellness, like we give individuals or good practitioners give individuals the tools to succeed on their own, right? Independence versus independence on, hey, come in two to three times a week forever. Like there's an end game and that end game is them performing that exercise. Now, if you're dealing with that adolescent population, I assume that's a little bit of a challenge just in the sense that they're young, they're busy, they're doing things with school or sports. Like what is the compliance like? Uh, yeah, compliance is going to be the toughest thing. And you know, if we're talking about brace wear for somebody that needs to wear a brace, if I tell you you have to wear a brace for 16, 18 hours a day for it to be effective, that's a tough uh, bridge to cross and thing to address with younger kids. And then like anything, just human nature, not just adolescence alone. If I tell you that, you, you know, I'd encourage you to do this every day because it's something that we want, you know, a conscious effort in order to become a subconscious process. You're holding yourself up a little bit better, more symmetrically to improve your posture it's, it's good practice and you may do it for two or three months and then you may fall off of doing it. And so the thing that I recommend kind of like that study I was talking about is just, um, touch points at certain points. So you go through a course of physical therapy, you do it on your own. Okay. I get sick of, I get tired. I get bored of doing the same exercises. How can I vary it? How can I make sure I'm still doing it appropriately to make sure I'm challenging myself and holding myself upright and moving forward? Can you describe some of the exercises and how long they would take to do at home? Yeah, it's an interesting question because it's a little bit different. It's not like your typical band-resisted exercises. A lot of it is one-on-one -on -one with a practitioner to, first off, address where your specific deformity lies or where your curvature is and what's the biggest thing that we're trying to address. Then from there, it's a lot of tactile cueing, body awareness, and positional holds to try and, first off, create and cause muscle activation um, to keep yourself upright. Then from there, getting into some of these breathing techniques. So to try and de-rotate, for lack of a better term, the spine, or really just get the muscles on one side of the curve functioning better than the other. When we look at some of these EMG studies, if you just think about a curve of the spine, <clears throat> on the convex side of the curve, or really the rounded side, EMG studies will show that these muscles are on, like activated almost all the time. And then on the other side of the curve, you'll see that they're silent. So they're just not functioning the same way. Now, just general principles of strength and conditioning will show that a muscle that's either overworking or underworking is ineffective. So if we can balance that back out, you can better symmetrically load. It also gets into risk factors of progression is if you have a curve in your spine, so what? I don't really think of that as a defining factor. But the position of comfort that you end up sitting in leads to this asymmetrical load on a growing bone in a teenager where the bone can actually start to grow into the curve. So it's almost like the way I explain it to these kids is, you know, the, the adolescent that plays video games may sit upright, but as you're playing video games for six hours, you start to hunch and round forward. Now the same thing is true if you're sitting in class with scoliosis, except you're going to sit a little bit asymmetrically and off to one side. And that becomes problematic if it's over time and not controlled. Now you had talked about this asymmetry and the, overactivation of certain muscles. Do you guys use biofeedback at all with the musculature? Yeah. We're using external biofeedback with a couple of different, what I like to use is pressure cuffs put in different places. 
So like I was saying before, a lot of it being tactile cueing. So <clears throat> the same way that tactile cueing has been shown just to increase somebody's awareness of what muscle you're trying to target to be methodical with it, this biofeedback placed in certain positions along your spine or behind your neck or behind your low back can show you how much pressure you're generating in either a rotational fashion or a compressive fashion. What about taping or bracing? Not, not um, like thermoplastic bracing, but any of the things that you can see on TV. I mean, I just want to get put out there for the audience. What's kind of been most effective in something like this? Cause I don't know that it's specific enough to address the scoliosis. Yeah. I don't know if it's specific enough, but it can sure help, right? If we're trying to increase body awareness and to give yourself a tactile cue, I've definitely used things like kinesio taping to help reinforce that. Um, and then people, depending on where your curve lies and things like that, you'll see different devices that almost like buzz you to sit up straight. It's not going to help fix your curve, but really if it's a mental cue for you to actively correct your posture and try and get back into that position that you've learned how to get into, then that's the best thing for it. Because in order to correct anything, it's going to have to be repetition and repetition in order for it to become like truly that subconscious process. So what are some successes and or failures that you've had in, in treating some of these patients? Yeah. Um, so it's, um, when you take any of these certification courses, it's always kind of like you're, you're in the course. It's really cool. Drink the Kool-Aid. It's going to work for everybody. And, uh, you always go into that with a little bit of reluctance. And truthfully, this course was one that I took and actually did see a lot of success with it. And was like, wow, I saw success early. I was like, this is something that can actually work. And if you think about the principles, it's like, all right, you're just teaching somebody how to hold themselves upright, load better and live their life better. So, um, if you get somebody that's, you know, young enough with a curve that's not too progressed and probably a little bit skeletally immature, but still growing, there's actually an opportunity for you to, I, I don't advertise this as a benefit of it, but first and foremost, we want to stop the progression, but there's a, an opportunity that you can actually help the curve to go back the opposite way. And really my belief in that is if you've been sitting in an asymmetrical posture and that's your position of comfort, you're over-exaggerating what your curve even looks like. So if you can correct yourself back to like a better baseline, <clears throat> then that's really where your, your curve sits. So I've had a couple instances, which is pretty cool to see where the spine actually starts to curve back or go very close to a neutral position. And then um, I guess the other side of that question is the tougher cases. And this is when you get a young individual who's very young skeletally, meaning that they haven't even hit their growth spurt yet and got a lot of growing left to do. And they get diagnosed with something like a 40, 50 degree curve. It's a tough battle because they're, you know, tiptoeing that line of, do I need surgery or not? And we have to kind of get them in a brace as quickly as possible and teach them this method. And, um, it's a little bit more of an in intense situation. And in some of these cases, it's almost inevitable and you can kind of do a predictive algorithm to see what their risk of progression is that they're going to end up in surgery. And in some cases that is the best, because if you try and be too conservative with something that's severe, um, too much rotation in the spine can definitely, like I was talking about before, affect your lungs, but also affect all of the organs inside of your body and lead to more complications down the road. What about age, the, the older individual? Because I've seen you work with someone, I think your youngest here was probably three. Right? Yeah, I know three. that was a, a different set of challenges, you yeah. know, ha having kids for sure. Um, and then older edge of the spectrum, probably in the 80s, more or less, right? So, you know, obviously different set of challenges with the older individuals and in that that curves probably existed for longer and there's some wear and tear and maybe osteoarthritis around that. So do you find those more difficult to treat and does the research kind of bear that out as well? I would say both ends of the spectrum you just brought up. Yeah, it's, it's challenging. And the main thing is just that because we're trying to improve your 
body awareness and get you to get into a like quote unquote, a more neutral position for me to help correct somebody into something that looks more neutral objectively may feel so foreign to them. I feel like they're completely off one way or the other. So to try and tap into that mental process and teach that to somebody that's very young or somebody that's on the older side of things, that's, you know, been in that posture for 50, 60 years. It's not that it's impossible to do. It's just, it's going to take, and those are the patients you have to educate specifically the older patients. Like you've been in this posture for a while, this will work. We just have to put some time invested into it in order for you to see those results. Whereas that, you know, adolescent 15, 16 year old, that is a, you know, a girl that dances or does gymnastics that has good body awareness already. That's somebody that's just going to pick it up pretty quick. So it's almost as difficult as changing Beecher's golf swing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so ingrained. It's so bad. I would it's say, yeah, the, you'd have to, you'd have to brace me for about a year for me to fix anything with that, with that curve. That's, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that's, I think unfixable. There's no surgery in the world that could fix that. Uh, so getting back to Schroth, um, talk a little bit about what got you into it in the first place. I guess we probably should have started there, but we'll end up here. So what got you interested in Schroth and, and why'd you add it into your practice here? Yeah. And I think, um, just like my background is that, you know, I, I played sports in college. I'm interested in orthopedics, athletics, and, um, orthopedic surgeries and working with sports. And I got introduced to this, not in school. We really don't get much education about scoliosis. But after I graduated, just started getting calls into the office saying, do we have anybody that is Schroth certified and kind of digging in and seeing what is this? And looking into the method, first I saw that there's a high success rate with this and you can make an impact on people, which drew me to it. And then looking at it, it's why I like it is you can help people across the spectrum of their life. And truthfully, what you're doing is teaching somebody how to prevent themselves from, you know, increasing the risk of any of those big, bad or scary things we talked about before and to help them live a better life. So if you can do that at an early age, I'm talking about like the 18 year old I worked with a couple of weeks ago that, you know, weight lifts a lot in college and has pain when he back squats. Well, if you have a curve in your spine and you deviate your pelvis to the side and we can correct your posture and then better load your back squat, you're at a decreased risk of injury you're going to load more symmetrically. You're going to get more out of what you want to do from a weightlifting purpose. And the same thing is true, you know, with the older individual, if we're talking about golf or tennis and things like that, and you start to see asymmetries and how they're playing, well, if you can help them correct their posture and get them in positions and force them to control their body a little bit better, it's pretty cool that it can have an impact that um, can, can really prevent a lot of these more serious things down the road. How many uh, Schroth providers are there in the nation and how would someone find a Schroth provider? Um, in the nation. Good question. So there's not very many certification courses that happen. I don't know. Number wise, I believe I can speak state of Connecticut right now. I'm one of five people certified, maybe six. So the certifications are happening infrequently. There's only a handful of them a year and there's only a small number of people that, um, get certified in these courses. So it's not something that they're, it's something that they definitely take pride in. And the course itself is pretty intense. It's actually one of the longest, if not the longest certification course in physical therapy, which I found surprising. It was nine days, 10 hours a day going through this the whole time. So if, um, if you want to look for and try and find a Schroth provider in the area, there's a couple of databases online that you can look for. Um, the one that's most commonly used is the Barcelona Institute, 
uh, right on their website. It's just, I think it's schroth-barcelonainstitute.com. I think it's the second tab over. It's like find a therapist near me. So how is how have you incorporated or have you incorporated any of these principles into treatment of non-scoliotic patients, right? Because it's breathing, it's posture, it's position. seems like it would be good for all of us. So any have you f- had that matriculate into your regular practice, pointers or take-homes for the listeners regarding that? <clears throat> yeah, I think you guys can definitely see. If you get somebody with an acute disc herniation, most of the time they end up with what's called a lateral shift or just an avoidant behavior not to add compression onto that disc. And it almost looks like they have a scoliosis posture. So for those people with acute low back pain, um, specifically this disc herniation, the principles of it uh, correlate over very well. And those main principles of Schroth really are going to be self-elongation, so holding yourself more upright. And we know that just in the disc herniation population, that traction works well. So this is more of just an active way of keeping yourself elongated Um, and then decreasing any kind of deformity. So adding some traction or self-elongation while trying to correct something beneath. I've actually found a lot of success with the disc herniation and that kind of being cervical or lumbar, so neck or back disc herniations. And what about the translation into other aspects of their life? Because I could see someone coming in, they're very focused on their Schroth exercises, they're doing it at home, but then they may go into a sport, they may go into, you know, with their personal trainer and they may lose sight of that because they're getting busy with the, the more complicated task. Like how do you bridge the gap between that and, and help them kind of optimize their overall health and wellness? Um, so I think about this almost like a warm up, and I think warm ups are kind of like the lost art of exercise and sports. And it's almost like you just kind of press play and you go through your dynamic warm up and then get into it. For these individuals, it's it's nothing more than just a warm up. Um, specific example of somebody that's on a U.S. Olympic ski team that I was working with that you know feels asymmetries with this. She just goes through five to ten minutes of these exercises before she goes into the weight room before she goes out on the mountain to practice that day and something that she subjectively and then objectively when we measure um, has seen a lot of success with. And then how does that kind of matriculate into life? If we're really trying to correct breathing, um, this is something that can add a whole new world for people in that sense. If you're having trouble breathing because you physically can't get there because of something that's going on within your body, being able to increase your vital capacity from an aerobic um, aspect is going to be huge. And then also when we talk about like recovery and stress, that's going to be huge. That's something that like I get into like some of these things like Laird Hamilton and Wim Hof and things like that. And so just like breathing techniques and how do you help yourself breathe to recover, decrease stress, meditate, things like that. So teaching people how to breathe, there's a lot of research that looks at stress, anxiety, body image, things like that by doing some of these breathing techniques. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I assume that would kind of detone or or kind of relax some of the muscles on that convex side just by just relaxation period, right? Just breathing in general. And before you're teaching them to breathe in a specific posture, just teaching them how to activate their diaphragm, maybe even in a supine or prone position may be beneficial. Yeah, totally. A lot of great topics today, Shane. You covered a lot of informative uh, issues surrounding scoliosis, low back pain, and the Schroth method. I want to thank uh, Shane Foley for joining us today and offering his expertise. As for my co-host, Mike, I'm Todd. This has been Optimal Health Uncovered. Thanks for joining us and have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. If you have questions for us or want to hear about something specific in an upcoming episode, send an email to podcast at performance-pt.com and be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more tips on optimal health. Until next time, Be well.